The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Let's pray. Jesus, we are just so humbled this morning that um, you showed us from this passage of scripture um, that you came not to be served, but to serve. Um, That you came to wash us clean. And I love that it says that you loved your own um, even to the very end. So Father, I pray that this morning we would all know um, just how loved we are by you how accepted we are by you um, no matter what this morning. And we just want to invite you into our hearts this morning to teach us and to speak to us and speak that love over us this morning. Um, So just um, speak through Randall this morning. I pray that our ears and our hearts would be attentive this morning to your word um, and to your gospel. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mary. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? All right. Well, welcome to Grace City. Uh, if you're new this morning, this is your first time. My name is Randall, and I am uh, the lead pastor here, and I'm excited. We are starting a new series today called Jesus, the Path of True Greatness. And when we started Grace City about a year and a half ago, we started in the book of John. That's where we thought that God was leading us to, to really study through this book. And so we are back in John, and we are in John 13. Uh, John 13, 1 through 11 is our text for today. And the message is entitled, The Way of Humility. And so for us, uh, we're going to be talking about humility. Uh, because when we're talking about true greatness, that's what we see in the life of Jesus. Uh, what is greatness? Now, in our world, there are arguments over greatness all the time, isn't there? Everybody wants to be great. Uh, recently, this past week, did you guys watch the Oscars? Many of us watched the Oscars, right? And, and what the Oscars are, are, are people who are in their field of entertainment and, and saying, these are the greatest in the entertainment industry. And so people vote. They say, the, the, these are the ones that are the standouts um, in the entertainment world. And that's, that's a great thing. You know, you want to you know, say these are people who've done really well in this field. And so we see greatness in the entertainment industry. We see it in sports. We see it in the arts. We see it in business. It's, it's all over. The question is always being asked, who is the greatest? Who's the greatest? And this argument over greatness is not a new argument, but it, it happened during the time of Jesus. 
And it's not mentioned here specifically in the text that Mary just read in John 13, but this specific argument happened before Jesus washes his disciples' feet. You can find it in Luke 22. Um, And so here's what it says in Luke 22. It says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he, Jesus, said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. You hear that? Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. When Jesus defines greatness, does he define it the way the world does? No. He defines it completely differently than what we would expect. And so does Jesus want us to be great? That's another question. Yes, but he wants us to do it through his way, through his path. You see, because isn't there something in you that says, I want to be great. I want to do something great. Jesus says, this is the start. It's serving. It's humility. See, Jesus gives a breakthrough answer to the power struggle for greatness. He said that true greatness wasn't lifting ourselves up like the rest of the world does, but lowering ourselves in service to others. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus tells his disciples why he came. Here's what he says. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paved the way for greatness by humbly serving. That's why we refer to Jesus as the humble king. And through Jesus' humility, we profoundly uh, see that he changed the landscape of the world forever. He just changed the landscape of the world forever. Um, In his book, Humilitas, ancient historian John Dixon says, in ancient Rome, during the time of Jesus, humility was a negative word associated with defeat. Humility before the gods and emperors was advised, but humility towards an equal was regarded as ill-informed. One of the prized virtues was love of honor. Academic research found that a humility revolution took place in the middle of the first century. Not only because of Jesus' teaching, Jesus' crucifixion changed the way people understood greatness and humility. The cross of Christ was contrary to the understanding of greatness in the ancient world. Do you want to know where everything changed in this world? And the way that we see greatness today? Because we say, well, yeah, I like being around humble people. I like to see humility. It changed because of Jesus. The whole landscape of everything changed because of him. And so what is humility? Well, it's, it's beautifully com- complex, and, and I'm not going to be able to describe everything and flesh it all out in today's message, but I just want to encourage you at the resource tent, we have this book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Check this out if you want to know more. Also, a great book that has helped me in my walk in learning what humility looks like is this book, Humility, True Greatness by C.J. Mahaney. 
But I want to give some quotes that are are helpful for us. And so one is from John Dixon who said the quote earlier. He says, humility is the noble choice to forgo your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. C.S. Lewis said, Christian humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. See, because sometimes we think that humility is about just tearing yourself down. Well, I, I just don't have any gifts, or I'm just, I'm just terrible at that. We think that that's what humility is, but it's not. Humility is, like he says, thinking yourself left, less. Uh, my friend, Dr. Amanda Pavich, which if you didn't go to the family talks, you need to come to these. These are super helpful. But she, we've talked about this. She's told me this. I think this is great. She says, humility is allowing God to change your mind. Saying, God, you're smarter than me. You're above me. You know more than me. It's allowing God to change your mind on some things. See, humility affects our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with others. What would this humility look like in your life if you took this into your office, if you took this into your neighborhood, if you took this into your school? I believe it would change everything. But we must start with Jesus. We must start with Jesus. And so our text for today is John 13, 1 through 11. And and what we see in today's scripture is a humility in Jesus that just draws us to him. We say, wow, look look at Jesus. It's just astonishing, isn't it, that, that Jesus would do something like this. Recently, actor Andrew Garfield said about this, uh, said about Jesus after playing the role of a missionary to Japan in the movie Silence. Here's what he says. He says, what was really easy was falling in love with this person, was falling in love with Jesus Christ. That was the most surprising thing. That was the most remarkable thing, falling in love and how easy it was to fall in love with Jesus. This is a guy who described himself as a pantheist, maybe agnostic, but after playing a role of a missionary to Japan in this movie, he said, man, I, there is something about Jesus that just draws me to him. Jesus' humility is loving, enduring, shocking, magnetic, life-altering. It is legitimately greatness personified. And so what are the characteristics of humility that we see in Jesus? Well, in our text today, we find three characteristics. And the first one is this, he knew. The second is he laid aside. And the third is he knelt. So I'll give you all three. He knew, he laid aside, he knelt. And we're gonna see this all through the scripture as we break it down today. So let's flesh this out together. This first characteristic is he knew. He knew. So what does that mean? Let's look at verses uh, one through four. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So from this text, what do we see that Jesus knew? Well, John was Jesus' best friend 
in this life, right, in the, this world. And, and so uh, John gives us this amazing perspective that we don't find in any of the other gospels. But he gives us Jesus' mindset as he's preparing to wash his disciples' feet. And what we find is that first Jesus knew his hour had come. Now as we look through all through the book of John, what we find is the hour, the hour, the hour is really important. And what the hour is, is Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus was going to die. Jesus knew that his hour had come. And so he knew that the reason why he came, of why he was going to die for us, was right upon him. And so I, I can't imagine the pressure of knowing that your very own death is very imminent. It's about to happen. But Jesus knew this and was going to serve. The, 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 the other thing it says that Jesus, he loved them to the end. So what we find out about Jesus is that Deep down in his heart, like, why, why was he here? What did, what did he know? Well, he knew that he loved his own to the end. You ever feel like, God, do you love me? And, and really, what is the difference between God's love and, and other people's love? The beauty of Jesus' love is that he loves you to the end. He doesn't give up on you in the middle of the race. He says, I'm going to walk with you, and I will be with you to the very end. Well, what if I mess up? What you're going to find out is that Jesus' disciples messed up a lot as he was going to the cross. But Jesus was resolved in that he was going to love them to the end. That's true love. That's real. That's tangible. That's, that's stick-with-it type love that Jesus displays here. And he knew that he loved them, and so he was going to do this for them. Here's what he also knew. He also knew that the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas to betray him. Now, we're not going to get all into all of what this is, but we believe that there is a spiritual world. There is an enemy. And Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And what does Jesus do? Well, we find out that he's going to wash their feet. How many of you are willing to wash the feet of those who would be willing to betray you? Right? Not very many of us. That, what I'm saying is that that is not natural. That's supernatural. That's something that God does. You see, as Jesus is approaching his death with so much pressure on him, he knew that one that he had spent three years investing and pouring into was going to betray him. But it also says that he knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. You see, Jesus knew that everything he had was from above. He knew it was from, from the Father. And that he was going back to God. That's an interesting phrase because what this is saying is that Jesus came from God. He is God, but he's going back to God. 
He's not like every other person that you ever met. He's unique. And ultimately, Jesus was going to be able to serve like he did because he had a firm grip on his identity. He had a firm grip on his identity. He knew who he was. Jesus is God. Jesus knew all of these things, that the reason he came was because he was going to die for humanity. And knowing these things gave him a firm foundation for humility. See, Jesus is secure in who he is. Jesus knew. Got three kids, and they're all uniquely crazy, right? And so we have those, those moments where as parents, me and my wife, um, we say, well, how can we love our kids specifically to what they're going through? And um, one thing that I know that's not unique but is across the board is that there are times where they just treat us like we're their servants, they drop everything everywhere. They, they leave it there. They, you know, they don't pick up after themselves. And, um, you know, so my seven-year-old, he could just be just as bad as our three-year-old. And he's been in our house for longer, but he still acts that way. And so I remember listening in on a conversation he was having with his mom one time. And, and uh, she's like, why didn't you do this, 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 and this? You know better, right? And he says, well... I, I just didn't. She's, and, and mom says, well, you treat us like we're your slaves. I'm your mom. I'm not your slave. And the thing about that phrase is really interesting. We serve them, but we're not their servants. We're their parents. That's our identity, Right? Like, uh, my, my identity is their dad, not their slave. And what we see here is that Jesus, ultimately, he came to serve, but he's not our slave. Right? Like, he, many people will treat Jesus like, not like the, the risen Lord, but like a resurrected butler. Right? Like, Jesus, you, you, you got to serve me. You got to do, do it my way. Jesus is firm in his identity. He's not our resurrected butler. He is our risen Lord. He is God. Jesus knew. Okay, and there, th that's, that's what we see here. Like, okay, this is very important when it comes to serving and humility. Got to know. Second is this, he laid aside. Verses four and five really help us with this. It says, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus laid aside. Jesus intentionally lays aside his outer garments so he would take on the appearance of a slave. Jesus intentionally does this. 
He wanted his disciples to see him like this. He says, I'm going to take this on because you have to understand how firm I am and who I am and that this doesn't make me any less of who I am. He takes off his outer garments. One commentator says this. He says, the disciples could not conceive of washing one another's feet since this was a task normally reserved for the lowliest of menial servants. The revered and exalted Messiah assumes the role of the despised servant for the good of others. Why don't you just let that settle in for a minute? Jesus lays this aside purposely so he could be mocked, made fun of, looked down upon. Ultimately, what he's showing us is what he's already done. He's God who came down to be like us. In the book of Isaiah, it says that he was so badly disfigured that people couldn't even recognize him. Right? And that's what he did. He took that on for us. Jesus laid aside. When I was in high school, there was a guy who uh, didn't, I can't even remember his name, but he had this huge birthmark on his face. And I would see him walking around and he would walk around and he didn't have like really expensive clothes on or anything like that, nothing that really would draw you to him and say, oh man, I wanna go hang out with that guy. He was just under the radar. And I remember one day as a friend was sitting next to me and he says, hey, have you ever heard this guy's story? No. He said, yeah, he's actually probably the richest kid in our school. I said, really? He's like, yeah, I found out that the reason that he doesn't show off is because he really wants to know who his real friends are going to be. He wants to know who really wants to hang out with him because he's got everything, but he just wants to know who would actually spend time with him because he's grown up with that birthmark on his face his whole life. I said, wow. You know, Jesus came down from heaven, laid aside the riches of heaven just to come spend time with us, just to be in relationship with us. And he really just wanted to know who really wanted to hang out with him, who wanted to be with him. And so Jesus lays aside what he deserved so he could serve. It wasn't for himself, it was for others. And then lastly, we see in verses six through eight, he knelt. He knelt. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. 
Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What's the climax of Jesus' greatness? He's not just the king who came down, he's the king who kneels before the servants. He's a kneeling king. And no other religion do you see any God kneeling to serve those lesser than them. You won't find it. Jesus is completely unique in that he is the servant king. He's the kneeling king. See, a lot of us think, well, aren't all religions the same? No. No one has Jesus like this. He is completely unique. This is the upside down nature of Christianity. This is why Jesus was so adamant that he must wash Peter. He says, Peter, I have to wash you because it's the heart of the Christian message. It's not that we clean ourselves. It's that God must clean us. God must wash us. Peter first had to humble himself and allow Jesus to clean him. You know, there are a lot of myths. Like, Jesus really addresses two of the myths that Peter had. The first one is that he was clean enough. But another one is that, you know, Peter later goes on. He says, well, wash everything. Wash, you know, not just my feet, but everything. And Jesus says, if I just wash your feet, that's enough. We try to go too far. We're like, okay, let me try and figure it out. I'm not clean enough. Jesus, you haven't done enough. That's exactly the way Jesus says it's gonna be. He's like, just let me wash your feet. See, if Peter couldn't accept that he was dirty and needed Jesus to wash his feet, how could he ever accept Jesus hanging on the cross for his sins? How could he ever accept seeing Jesus like that if he can't simply receive him as just the kneeling king washing his feet? See, this is the gospel. God came down to clean messy, sinful people. I mean, what's your, what's your visual of God? Do you, do you imagine God saying, well, just clean yourself up and just come to me. Then you'll be okay. Or do you see God coming to you, coming down from heaven to clean you and saying this is about grace? It's nothing that we earned or deserved. It's nothing that we could say, hey, look at what I did and be prideful about. This is the most, the most, the most, hum most hum humbling part of the gospel. It humbles. It's not just some of us, it's all of us. If you're a Christian today, there, there really should be no such thing as a prideful Christian. It's only it's because of grace. Brendan Manning once said, grace works without asking anything of us. It's not cheap but it's free. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. 
Grace is enough. He is enough. Jesus is enough. See, Jesus kneels down to wash us, and it's through his humility that he humbles us to receive the gospel. And so just some takeaways for today. How does Jesus' humility apply to our lives? The first question is this. I'm gonna have, have three, but the first question is this. Do you know your identity? See, Jesus was clear about his identity. He never stopped being king even though he looked like a servant and a slave. As Christians, we can humbly serve others because we have a solid identity. Our identity is in Jesus. You see, how many of us are constantly getting bent out of shape because somebody doesn't give us the recognition that we feel like we deserve? Well, they didn't. I shoulda. Right? And we get bent out of shape. But what Jesus says is, if, if you found your identity in this, that you're a child of God, you are a child of God, that no one could take that away from you, that you are a child of God, then you could be treated like a servant and do it humbly and, and lovingly and kindly. Many of us are not finding our identity in Jesus. We're finding it in other places. See, how many of us are consistently crushed because we don't stand in our God-given identity? Instead, we stand in a false identity, a fleeting identity. We define ourselves by our job, our titles, our talents, our education, our income level, our grades, our beauty. That identity won't last Recently, this one stuck out to me because I was sitting with some family members talking about my grandmother. My grandmother was amazingly beautiful, incredible person, inside and out. And even in her older age, I mean, she's just a very classy lady, just dressed very nicely. And um, we were talking, and my grandmother ended up getting dementia. And she was in a home, and uh, she just, I mean, basically at the end, I mean, all, all of the stuff that she had just, you know, ended up going to this family member or going to Goodwill or any of these places. And um, they said at the end of my grandmother's life, she couldn't even look in the mirror anymore. She couldn't even look in the mirror. Well, a lady with dementia, just, she couldn't look at herself. It broke my heart because I thought, this is what, this is what this is. If we find our identity in something other than Jesus, because there will be a point where I get to that point where I just can't even look at myself in the mirror. But I gotta know that there's a solid foundation that I can hold on to that's stronger than that fleeting identity. See, the foundation for humility is holding on tightly to the identity that Jesus gives us. He says, no matter what, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're my child. P. 
People will try to take it away from you all the time. Do you know your identity? Again, we talked about it in our family talk this morning. Open this up. Read it. See what God says about you. Second is, where is your security? Jesus' security was in his Father. I mean, look at verse three. He talks about how the Father had given all things to him. His security was in what the Father gave him. It wasn't in what people could give him. Jesus was secure in the Father, and, and that's what gave him the poise to serve others, even his enemies. See, many of us don't have that type of courage, do we? I mean, many times I don't. See, many of us are walking around very insecure, not secure, right? Very insecure. See, if you're, if you're not secure in God and what he gives you, you'll, you'll look around to other people and what they can give you. And, and what that looks like is you'll never love someone no strings attached. The beauty of Jesus is that it says he loves them to the end, not because of what they could give him. He loved them with no strings attached. Saying, it's, it's not anything you could give me, but I have everything I, I need in my Father. And so I can love you and give because it's not dependent on what you could give me. See, if you, if you never get this security that, that everything I have is in God, then you'll be walking around serving other people to affirm yourself so that other people say, well, wow, aren't they just such a great person? But then when they don't say, you know, thank you or anything, you're like, man, you know, I'm done with them. I'm done with them. See, the Father gave us everything we have. Or you'll do it to affirm yourself. Well, I'm just such a good person. That's why I do it. I'm just such a good person. That'll fall flat too. See, what is it? It's, it's serving with the freedom of self-forgetfulness. It's not about me. I've got everything I need in God. See, Jesus teaches us, find your security in God. And it doesn't matter how others treat you. Because they will treat you badly at times. There will be times where, where it does happen. You can still learn to love and serve them from the heart with no strings attached because you have everything you need in him. The third question is, will you kneel because Jesus kneeled? What Jesus did was he laid aside his rights. Many times the reason we won't kneel and serve others is because we want to hold tightly onto our rights. It's my right for this or it's my right for that. Jesus laid aside his rights. He he had the right to be sitting on a throne, but instead we put him on a cross. So Jesus laid those things aside and says, those things don't matter to me because the person in front of me matters more than my rights. And he intentionally lowers himself to serve. One of the phrases we have here at Grace City is this, that we're open for business. 
This is about serving others, loving others, our community, people around us, and saying, hey, I'm open, I'm here, I'm available. Okay, and so are you open for business? Are you walking around saying, okay, Lord, how can I kneel? How can I serve? How can I help be a blessing here? Intentionally lowering yourself to serve. Here's my challenge with this. It's very practical. Whenever you walk through a door, so we walk through a lot of doors every day, right? So whenever you walk through a door, I want you to ask this question. How can I serve? How can I serve? As you're walking in to different spaces, because most of the time, what the question is that we ask is this, how am I being served? Isn't it? Who's taking care of me? How am I being taken care of? What if we flip that question and says, how can I serve? Because if that mentality starts to happen, that servant type of mentality, Jesus is going to use you in amazing ways. And you will be on the path to greatness the way he defines it. Because you won't look like any person around you. But you can't do it on your strength. You need him. Where do you start? On the story of um, Prince Caspian, C.S. Lewis, tells in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, at the end of the book, Prince Caspian is, is kneeling before Aslan, who's the Christ figure. And Aslan says, Prince Caspian, are, are, you, are you ready to be king of Narnia? And Caspian looks up and he says, I, I don't think I could do it. I'm only a kid. And Aslan looks at him and he says, you're right. If you said that you were ready, that would have only proved that you weren't really ready to lead. Where is the path? How do I get to this path of greatness? It's kneeling before the king, Jesus, the king who knelt and who did not only kneel but gave his very life says, I'll go all the way to the cross for you. I will love you to the end. And we see him on the cross. We say, that's the servant king. And he says, will you receive me? Will you receive me into your life? I'm the only one who can wash you. Will you kneel before the cross and say, Lord, teach me. Teach me to serve. Teach me the path of true greatness. It starts with receiving him, receiving Christ. I can't do it, Lord. I don't have what it takes. Okay, that's where he can use you. That's where it starts. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for how you work in our lives and, and do things that we couldn't have done on our own. You said it's only by your grace and your mercy that we're saved. And so we humbly come, Lord Jesus, and say, teach us.
Teach us humility. Teach us the path to greatness, the way you define it. And it's really the way of weakness. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray that we'll honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.